Hello, uh, good morning, good afternoon, or good night, depending on what part of the world you're visiting us. I'm here with Anna, Samos, uh, Herb, and Lisa. How are you guys? Welcome uh, to this webinar. I would appreciate if uh, everyone that is, have joined us could tell us what part of the world you're visiting us. Um, just put on the, on the chat um, what part of the world you're visiting us so I could say hi to some of you. Los Angeles, Germany, Costa Rica, London. Wow, it's a little bit later in London. Belgium, New Zealand. Toronto, India, Vancouver, Sonora, Albuquerque, Houston. Well, all over the world. Ohio, um, Ohio, Canada, Mexico, South Africa, Boston, California, West Virginia, Bahrain, New Zealand. Great. Awesome. Really, really good. So we have uh, people from all over the world. Uh, we had almost 1,000 people uh, register for this webinar. So super excited uh, to be here. Um, and we're going to talk about how can you survive and thrive in these uh, complicated times. Uh, and we're going to talk especially about a tool we call the SWT. Uh, and Herb is going to guide us on how to use the tool. And then we're going to talk a little bit about trends. Uh, the most important thing you're going to have to do today is understanding what's the new normal, what trends are changing in the world, or what trends are accelerating in the world. So we're going to talk a lot about trends. Uh, each one of us has put some trends together, and we're going to share what we're seeing in the world. So you could see those trends, how they're going to affect your business positively or negatively. So just a little bit about uh, Growth Institute. Growth Institute was born precisely in 2008. Uh, our first discussion was in 2008 when I um, had a mortgage bank in, in Texas. I was living in Austin uh, back then. And um, my business went under. I, I, I lost all my assets, ended up being over a million dollars in debt. I remember I was waking up in the middle of the night, sweating cold, and sometimes even crying because I had to lay off 120 employees, uh, lost all my assets, lost all my, the investors, all the money that I, the investors put in my company. And uh, I got several calls from people, uh, and one of them was Vern Harnish. And he called me and said, hey, how are you? And I imagine, I, I, I remember I complained and I even cried on the phone a little bit to Vern, and I was really mad of the situation. And Vern's response was, great, what's next? And I was like, what do you mean, what's next? And he said, yeah, what are you going to do next? And I was like, I'm going to go back to Mexico to get a job. I'm like, there's nothing for me to do here in the US. And he said, well, you should become a scaling up coach. And I was, no way. I don't trust myself to be an entrepreneur. Now you want me to teach and help entrepreneurs? And Vern told me this, and I remember it very vividly. He said, that is precisely why. So you make sure this doesn't happen again. It's your duty that what you felt and what you went through doesn't happen again. And that's when I became a scaling up coach uh, with Vern. And then four years later, we built Growth Institute. And up to today, we've helped over 40,000 executives, uh, 10,000 different companies in 65 countries of the world. Uh, so this is a little bit of, of our team. This is in our, one of our daily huddles. We, we do all our daily huddles in Zoom uh, for the last four or five years. Uh, and it's been an amazing uh, journey. We've been in Inc. 5000 a couple of times and stuff. Uh, today, this is uh, the four coaches. We're going to, all, all of us are uh, scaling up certified coaches. We're going to talk about the SWT tool. We're going to help you use it and adapt it for your business. And then we're going to give you some ideas of trends we're seeing for you to be able to understand these trends and be able to see how they're going to affect your business. Uh, Anna, Lisa, and Herb, we're all going to be here at the end to answer all your questions. Please begin send your questions through the chat. And Alex, that is uh, in the Austin office, is going to help us moderate uh, the questions. 
And I would like to tell this story, and then I have another story that I had, it happened just today. Uh, Paul, we had Paul in, in a webinar with us a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Paul had a business that sold to schools. And when all the schools uh, closed the K-12, his business went significantly lower their revenue. He lost 50% of his revenue in a week. So he said, hey, I need to learn what to do. So he called his coach, uh, Jason, another uh, scaling up coach, and said, hey, what can I do? And Jason said, hey, let's run a session with the SWT tool. And that's precisely what we're going to help you run now so you could do the same thing. Today, he pivoted his business completely. He got almost back to 100% of his revenue in the month of April of what he had in February. So this is a really, really powerful tool. And I also was with another uh, friend, uh, Rick Jameson from Canada. Really interesting. James had a company selling uh, automotive uh, parts. And of course, no one is selling automotive parts. Most of the factories are closed. So his business went significantly lower. And he said, hey, I have a factory. I, I have people that know how to build. I'm in Canada. I'm going to build ventilators. So he called it Ventilators for Canadians. And he bought a, uh, the rights of a ventilator from Sweden, I think, or Norway, somewhere uh, around there. And he brought the patent uh, to Canada. And he got already a contract awarded by the Canadian government for $235 million to do ventilators. That's amazing. He said, I went to being bankrupt to a quarter of a million, uh, billion dollar company in a month just for understanding the trends and be able to move fast. So that's what we're going to talk about today. How can you use this tool to be able to pivot your business and adapt to the new reality? Uh, a lot of you have already one-page plan or have been looking into scaling up one-page plan. This is a typical one-page plan that has their core, the strategic thinking and execution planning. And people are calling me and saying, hey, Daniel, what do I have to adapt of my uh, one-page strategic plan? This is what I believe you have to adapt. Everything that is green stays the same. That should not change. That's long-term thinking. That's who you are. That's your big hack. You should not change your long-term thinking. Everything that is in red, you should change in your one-page plan. And everything that you see in the bottom, the strengths, weaknesses, and trends, that's what we're going to talk about today. And that's going to be the base for you to build your new strategy. But please don't touch today your core values, your purpose, your BHAG, and your 35-year target. Don't touch them today. Focus on the one year and the quarter based on the new trends and your strengths and weaknesses. So that's where you have to do your, your ad adaptation of your one-page plan, starting with this tool. All right, so Herb, please uh, walk us through the SWT tool. Well, first of all, um, hello to everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. And let's get started with the strategy. You know you have a great strategy when you're experiencing industry-leading top-line growth. Many of us, due to the pandemic, are having problems with revenue generation. And so let's take a minute and ask ourselves three questions about our current strategy. Number one, is it relevant and compelling value to the customers we serve? Number two, does it meaningfully differentiate your company from your competitors? And thirdly, is it creating and resulting in predictable, consistent revenue growth? We're going to talk about the SWT tool, but I also wanted to mention the SWOT tool because I didn't want people to be confused. SWOT is still an important part in planning, 
but sometimes it can create uh, industry myopia by having your senior team thinking primarily about your company and its industry. It's similar to saying that the SWAT helps you see the forest from the trees, where the SWT allows a broader perspective to spot trends in other industries and in distant markets around the globe. It enables you to see the world beyond the forest. So SWAT is still an important tool in planning, but I think it's best used with middle managers who have a more clearer focus specifically on your company and your specific industry. When we begin using the SWT tool, we start reviewing trends and consider these six categories that are in front of you to help your team create a broader perspective by discussing long range impacts of each category and that impact on your business. When you think of all of our companies, we have inherent strengths and weaknesses. Strengths may be as strong balance sheets and great product portfolios and weaknesses such as poor distribution channels and maybe limited geographic reach. But I think the value in the SWT exercise is to help to recognize core competencies within your strengths and put them to good use in your strategy creation. So looking at the definition above, a core competency is an inherent strength with three attributes. One, it's not easy for a competitor to imitate. Two, it can be reused widely in many products and many markets. And third, it will contribute benefits to the client experience and to the ultimate product or service you provide. And there was some great uh, examples I wanted to share. If you think of Honda Corporation, they have a core competency in building small engines. They have been able to identify the needs of different global markets and create multiple product offerings to put the small engines in to their growth, whether it's cars, motorcycles, lawnmowers, and a lot more. When you think of Sony, they have a core competency for miniaturization. They have been able to also compete in global marketplaces, but offering different products by miniaturizing their technology and putting them in things like TVs, radios, and cameras, etc. Lastly, you look at a company like BIC, which has been around for decades, and they've been able to have global success because they have a low cost, consumable plastic products core competency that enables them to create things like pens, shavers, lighters, and many, many more in, in many, many markets. So when you think about the trends that you're assessing in those categories, and you're also assessing your strengths and core competencies, you have to ask yourself, how can these insights be used to develop offerings that my clients need? So let's talk about strategic pivots that you can consider. Let's say the information in your core competencies is telling you that your current products aren't appropriate. How do you go from like one scaling up client that made window shades to now making face shields for the COVID response and for the medical, medical industry? How do you go from a business model pivot, if you think of medicine, 
from a traditional doctor's office to maybe pivoting to telemedicine online uh, versus brick and mortar? And how do you consider market pivots where maybe you were serving enterprise large accounts and now you need to shift to small medium business accounts? And then lastly, think of the offers that you have in the potential pivot of going from an all-inclusive offering to maybe unbundling your offering and making it more affordable, or maybe even to dynamic pricing based upon the products and the market affordability because of the current time. So you gather your ideas with your team and your insight, and you take a simple grid like this, and you consider which of the ideas will have the highest or lowest impact on your business, and then which of these ideas will be easy or difficult to implement. And as you list and rank and prioritize all the items, you're gonna wanna focus in the top right quadrant because they will be the ideas that will have the most impact for your company right now and be the easiest for your team to implement. The tool will enable you to do what is needed in the planning with your team while your mid-managers can still use the SWOT exercise themselves. So let's talk just briefly about trends because I, I think they're obviously very important. But when you think of the trends that we're dealing with right now, we're talking about things like AI and machine learning. I don't know how familiar you guys are with that technology but you're able to scour the internet for amazing amounts of data and sift really great business intelligence. One client is doing it for client listening programs where they can scour the world for any mention of their name. And when you find their name, they will review the words around it and they can determine negative or positive customer sentiment and react their marketing campaigns accordingly. They're actually now turning the technology with their competitors and they're identifying global markets where their competitors' reputation may be waning and then planning attacking those areas of weakness. You then look at things like uh, robotics, where it's impacting not only work, but the home. And I think it's impacting the nature of work in the nature of manufacturing and production. Many of you may, uh, may wear an Apple iWatch, which is wearable technology. And some of you may be checking your blood pressure or your pulse. And I think those uh, trends are gonna continue for wellness and for illness prevention. And then ultimately, we're looking at 3D printing, which allows customized on-demand printing anywhere in the world, which is revolutionary in the study of genomics, which allows you to discover latent or uh, uncovered potential illnesses in your DNA, and also help uh, with wellness and transplants and other things, which I think is gonna help with long life and more healthy living. So those are just a few of my trends, and let me switch over to Anna. Macroeconomic trends are long-term trends that unemployment, things like unemployment, inflation, the demand for housing and construction, and household savings. So I wanted to dig um, deeper into some of the topics here. So household disposable income has definitely been hit the hardest um, and it's likely um, largely due to the rising unemployment figures and the subsequent decline in consumer confidence that we have. 
Um, household discretionary income, for those who don't know, is, is the money left in people's pockets after paying essential expenses, such as rent, mortgage repayments, rates, and electricity. Discretionary income is used to calculate how much money people have in their pockets for items that they want, as a, things like you know, clothing and luxury goods and you know, a, a night out on the town, et cetera, takeaway foods and, and travel, as opposed to what we actually need, which are things like electricity, water, rent, mortgage repayments. At the end of the day, this is the consumer spending power. And the impact of this will be very be, be better quantified when um, we see restaurants and pubs and um, travel kicking in again. It will be interesting to see how people respond to being let out. And perhaps we may even see a return of the Rory's 20s Gatsby world. Who knows what's going to happen when we're allowed to leave our homes. Um, another factor to consider is that Discretionary income is closely linked to how confident people are in keeping their jobs over the next 12 to 18 months and whether they're happy to splurge or be frugal. It's likely that there'll be, there'll be flat or declining wage growth um, due to high unemployment and a higher supply in the labour market um, in the near future. And this is where mid-market companies are particularly impacted by movements in this per capita income or the disposable income that we have um, because most of um, mid-market companies don't have the economies of scale or the bargaining power of some um, to offer highly competitive um, prices or keep margins strong, particularly for discretionary items. However, the advantage mid-market companies do have is that they are able to respond more quickly to what and how their favourite customers purchase and can tap into strategic partnerships a lot more quickly than um, the bigger players can. Which brings me to my second point. The combination of people locally spending less, the lack of inbound tourism and the drop in Australia in particular of international students means that the effect of COVID-19 will be felt for a few years after the outbreak. The slowdown of international students and foreign investments together with lower domestic demand means that the property market will be bleak in the short term as people sit on their eggs is the way my dad says sit on your eggs and wait and see what happens next if past consumer and business behavior is anything to go by and assuming we don't have a second wave of infection and restrictions then business confidence is likely to rebound late late this year and moving forward into 21-22 in australia um, typically, we take about four years to fully recover from black swan events like these and get back to the way we were, to go back to where we were in December 2019. Thirdly, consumer buying behaviour has changed. Um, it's the bricks and mortar and retail stores are definitely feeling the pressure of, um, and in response, have moved into e-commerce offerings. If they were partially there before, they've gone full helter-skelter basically there. So clothing retail has definitely taken a hit. However, we've also seen a surge in spending on fitness apparel, which is a slight pivot. We're seeing a boom in online gambling sites, alcohol consumption, video games, pet grooming, animal rescue as well, which is nice to see. And also, you know, the binge watching of TV streaming services. So with the shutdown, there's been a real change in the way people think of what they actually truly need and what they want. And this change in spending habits and buying behaviours will impact strategy moving forward. 
in our post-COVID world. Together with retail leases, commercial leases will also be impacted as the new flavour of the month, the working from home phenomenon, kicks in. As someone who's managed geographically dispersed virtual teams from who work from home for over a decade, my thoughts there are that working from home is not an all-in or all-out tactical move for companies. Um, there are cultural implications and mental health implications that um, companies need to carefully consider. I think the new norm will be an acceptance of a hybrid model, just like we live in live theatre world, as well as Netflix and those two mediums coexist. We know that people like to have a choice of how they interact in play and in work. So I don't think it's going to be a full work from home and I don't think there's going to be an absolute collapse, collapse in commercial space, but there'll be a hybrid model and an offering to um, employees to choose how they'd like to work. Um, and this brings me to um, a little bit more where I wanted to delve into the live arts and entertainment industries, which has completely collapsed. The live arts industry has been hit the hardest by the new social distancing restrictions, as well as um, a lot of hospitality industry players. And th th these sectors were the first to be shut down and will likely be the last to get back to full capacity and be an ongoing concern. This sector is a significant employer and part of a wider supply chain of creative solopreneurs, the techies, the prop building, the costuming, etc. And for these industries, it's not as simple as just turning back the lights on um, and operating. Musical theatre and live theatre have about two to three month ramp up time in order to stave large performances to this level that we were known pre-COVID shutdowns and also to sell the tickets. The flow on effect from the shutdown of this sector will be felt by the greater community too as time goes by. We all know the buzz we feel after attending a stadium Foo Fighters concert or dressing up and going to the theatre and seeing the Phantom of the Opera. And government support of this sector is important, both financially and in relaxation of policy, as it defines our identity as a community and validates our feeling of belonging. It's the polar opposite of isolation and an important factor in good mental health and post-traumatic stress disorder recovery. Bring that all together. Um, in summary, my advice as a coach is to use this time really carefully to rethink your go-to-market strategy. I think it's a great time to spring clean your processes and make time to listen very, very carefully to your team members and to your favorite customers. And also consider not just your direct customers or your direct supply, but think of the flow-on effect in those industries as well. So your supplier, supplier, and your customers, customers, and what's happening in their world too, because there are ripple effects throughout the market. Thank you. Lisa? Thank you, Anna. So building on Anna's highlights, the trend of data. So one of the things that Gilletta Broomfield and I, as we coach, partner coach in Scaling Up in Central America have found, we just finished our first of many, hopefully, COVID-19 business sprints. So we had a group of about 25 leaders across Latin America participate in that. And we really dug deep into data. What we're seeing is that now is a time where leaders can really buckle down and utilize data to drive insight into their business. So we're accustomed to using financial data, even if it's hard to pull together and uh, do so on a consistent, repeatable basis. 
but we're going much deeper. So with the financial data, we're seeing clients really do a lot more of scenario planning, you know, really segmenting the industries they're performing in, their clients are performing in, and really understanding how they've been impacted. And then planning, you know, worst case scenario planning for, and then dialing it back for better case scenarios. But this is really important, really getting to the brutal facts, understanding where you are and equipping yourself with those various routes, you know, gets you from unstuck to moving forward and taking steps to progress. People data is another great area that we have found clients really um, buckle down and utilize. So things from behavioral assessments with, you know, Predictive Index is a company that we work with closely to model and use people analytics to drive uh, better collaboration, better communication, better ways to form and enhance and engage your teams, and even gives you data when you have to make really tough decisions around reducing your teams and understanding, you know, where is the best impact um, you can do in those tough and critical conversations. But engaging and caring for teams right now is so important. So we've heard a lot around communication, whether it's communication with your direct reports, communication with your clients, communication with your community, your family, all of that's really key. The more you understand about your people, the better you can communicate and connect with them, care and support them. Then it, it ties into customer and market data. So we've heard a lot from Herb and Anna on you know, what's happening in the market. What are those customer trends? What are those macroeconomic things occurring? How do you not only digest that for you and your business, but for your clients as well? And for your employees and you know, the ripple effects that they're feeling, you know, their spouses and their work environment and their families and their work environment, you know, this stems really, really far. So we have seen, you know, the use of Moody's data to really segment the industries and really dig, you know, kind of peel back the onion to understand the impact and, you know, who's benefiting in the form of essential services, who's really struggling. We have a client that we endear that's here in Central America that is in tourism and 90% of their revenue base went away in two weeks time. And now they are pivoting digitally. Um, so they are reimagining what the world could be and they are moving really fast and they're scenario planning and they're communicating with their clients and they're creating new segments. It, it's really impressive how they have rallied and all of it has to do with, you know, kind of growth mindset, using the data and, you know, figuring out what's the first step that leads to the next step, which leads to the following. And then execution data, you can't take your eye off the ball. So having that dashboard, having those critical numbers, making sure everybody's super clear, where are they focused, what are they accountable for, and you know, maintaining that culture of action and accountability is really, really critical. And then you might be surprised that trust is showing up here, but this is something that we believed in before, but right now we believe building trust with your teams and with your clients has never been a more important initiative. And so we're doing a lot of work with people data, like predictive index that I mentioned, but also conversational intelligence is another area that we are deeply focused upon. So the words that you as leaders use create the world that you operate in for yourself, for your employees, for your clients. So really leading with a growth mindset, building trust relationships. Right now, people are very vulnerable. It is a beautiful time to reconnect and to strengthen relationships and to demonstrate caring. You know, it must be authentic. You, 
you know, need to be authentically caring about people to develop trust. But when you spend that time and effort, it pays off tremendously. Are you the trusted advisor to your clients? They need you to perform that role. And we're seeing that that is tremendously valuable. And, you know, we're finding that pivoting and finding new ways to reimagine your business um, is just a beautiful time to spend thinking about that, engaging your teams, dreaming, aspiring. Uh, many operations have slowed down, so there is some bandwidth. And that thinking time is really precious. So how do you use some of that time to build trust in the relationships around you? So a few of the things that we're noticing. All right. And I want to take uh, a little bit of what everyone's been saying, new normal. So I'm going to give some ideas. And I put the logo of CNN here because I've been having this conversation with Vern many times. And we're calling it the CNN moment, what happened in the 80s. I don't know if you remember, in the 80s, CNN came uh, to the market and they were losing a lot of money. People were not used to watching news all day, used to watch the news in the morning, in the newspaper, morning radio or morning show. And then you did not see the news until the night show. And if something happened at 2 o'clock in the afternoon or 3 o'clock, you didn't care. You were, you were not used to, or, uh, to be able to see news all the time. Until we had the Gulf War in the 80s, the first Gulf War. And that's when people change their habit to see news all day long. We begin to be glued to the TV because they were showing us a war in real time. And that made CNN be a household name. But most importantly, it changed the way we think. It changed the culture and the trends of the people. Instead of watching news two times a day, we got used to watching news all the time. And then when we go to the internet, that just blew up. So we believe there's a lot of things that are going to change that are not going to come back. So here are some of the ideas. Remote work, study, and entertainment is going to go home. I really believe you have like these layers of things, work, entertainment, school, and then you have home. Everything is going to collapse in your home. You're going to work from home. You're going to have your study at home. And you're going to have a lot of your entertainment back at home. So you're going to collapse a lot of the spaces that you used to, to use in just one space. I am really, really worried about commercial buildings uh, for, for stores, so-so, but offices, I'm really worried. People are not going to go back to really big buildings with a lot of offices. That's not going to happen. And we have New York and all these places like Toronto where I live that we have most of the work uh, load working on these big buildings. So I really believe we see a collapse in the three or four spaces that we spend our time, and we're going to spend way more time in our homes, uh, at least the next year or a couple of years. Uh, we're going to see practical education with college education. So education is usually a contracyclical industry. Whenever the market goes down, people go back to education, say, hey, well, there's a crisis. I'm going to go to, to study for one, two, three, four years while everything goes down, and then I'll come back when there's jobs. I used to go study, and be able to get a lot of debt and then come back uh, when you finish your studies. I don't think that's gonna be this time. I think people are gonna start looking for more practical learning and they're gonna go for practical learning in online or short one and two day courses. I really, really believe people are gonna say, hey, I'm not gonna get in debt of two, $300,000 to do college or a master's degree to try to get a job in five years. That's not gonna happen. People are gonna look for very practical things they could use tomorrow. We're going to see a lot more national tourism, this international tourism. 
you're going to be more confined to your nation because of the virus that are going to be in your nation. And I think international travel is going to significantly decrease. And there's going to be a lot more complication for international travel. You're probably going to have to be quarantined some days or something's going to happen. We don't know exactly. But I think international travel is going to get much more complicated. Before September 11, you used to go to the gate without security. Now it's a hassle just to go through security. I think we're going to begin seeing a lot of those kind of changes in international travel. At least the next 12, 24 months, I'm going to see way more national travel and international travel. So if you're in the tourism industry, I will significantly change your mind, your uh, messaging to national tourists. Uh, big government and big corporations. I really believe uh, we're going to become more government center and be able to depend more on government contracts or big corporation contracts. Uh, they're going to have the cash, the loans, and the capital to continue to grow and do new projects. So I think a lot of the mid-market companies and small companies we're going to turn more to government and big corp companies to have more contracts. And I think it's going to be very interesting that the big corporations, instead of wanting to have a lot of full-time employees, they're going to outsource way more of their uh, products and their services to mid-market companies and small companies. Uh, also, see more online and small local retail with big shopping malls. No one's going to want to go to these really big shopping malls with thousands of buyers at the same time. The, the typical uh, stores that they have all these kind of department stores, I think they're going to have a really, really hard time uh, to come back. People are going to choose local uh, food a lot compared to uh, food that comes from other countries. And also you're going to want to shop in small community shops uh, more than the big retailers. So I really believe we're going to see a lot of more online to the big Amazons. That's going to go to the big things. But you're going to try to go more to the small local things uh, to buy more. Um, I think we're going to see a widening of the wealth gap. Uh, the wealth gap is being widening. I think we're going to see even a, a bigger gap now. So I think we're going to get a lot of people buying very small ticket items and then some buying really, really big ticket items. So I really believe there's going to be a huge divide on incomes, uh, as Anna was saying, on the disposable income, and it's going to be completely divided. Uh, so as an example, Growth Institute, we're changing a lot of our course offering to be able to resemble this. And then outsourcing these full-time employees. I really believe a lot of corporations, they're not happy today that they have thousands of employees full-time. They're going to come back to a per project or, or outsource to get things done and say, hey, I'm going to pay you for a project or I'm going to pay you by the hour or by results. And they're going to outsource way more of their, uh, their employees or their, the people to do things for them. They're going to give you contracts. Uh, you're going to do small corporations by four or five people, 10, 15 people, and they're going to be outsourced to big corporations and government. Um, so these are some of the new normals that I see. I really believe uh, production of things is going to come back faster, but the consumption is going to take way more slow uh, just because of all these trends that we're seeing. And the last slide is kind of trying to give you some direct recommendations using all the trends that you saw on the previous slides. First, over-communicate, as Lisa said with your team, your customer, your shareholders. The way you treat people with empathy and respect is going to be reflected five, 10 years from now. People are going to remember how you treat them in bad times. I really believe in, in a crisis, everything gets amplified, the good and the bad things. So if you treat your employees wrong, your community wrong, your clients wrong, they're going to remember 
in the next three, five, ten years. So treat people with respect and empathy and be able to over-communicate at all times. It's incredible how much we've changed our communication in the last month with our team, our customer shareholders. As an example, I send a video to all my investors and my shareholders every week. Friday night before I close my computer, I record a video, 10, 15 minutes, tell them what happened with the week and send it off to them every Friday for the last six weeks. With our employees, instead of having one daily huddle a day, we have two daily huddles. We have a daily huddle of 807 every day and also at 447 at night. Every day we have two huddles to communicate with everyone in the company. So over communicate and treat people with respect and empathy. They will remember. Third, focus and minimize priorities. Usually when things are going really well and the market is growing, you had a lot of opportunities and you were doing a lot of things. No, you have to focus your team in very, very few priorities. The one that give you the 80%, the typical Pareto 80-20, get 20% of your priorities. That's going to give you 80% of your impact. Don't focus in anything else. Don't do anything else. Don't spend a dollar in anything else. Get everyone focused there and conserve your 80% that you're going to come out stronger. Strategic partnerships. We're surprised how many partnerships we've seen happening now. People are looking for different ways to do things and they're way more open to partnerships. Uh, just an example, in, in, in Growth Institute in Latin America, we're, we're just signing a partnership with a really, really big media outlet that we never thought they would look at us. And they were super excited to work for us. They were way more open because they're saying we need to figure out new ways of making money. We need to figure out new ways of doing things. And they're more open to talk about possibilities. Before, they would never open the door before. And now we're striking a really, really important partnership for us in Latin America. So call your ideal partners and said, hey, I have a new idea. Let's discuss it. They're going to be way more open to talk about new ideas and strategic partnerships. Five, hire great people. The biggest complaint that I had from my clients in the last years, it was, it was very difficult to hire great people. Now there's a lot of great people on the market or they're going to be willing to switch companies. It's the right moment to do the strategic team that you need to be able to grow your company. So look, look out there. There's going to be a lot of great people on the market or open to change. Invest in technology for a new normal. That's a little bit of what Herb uh, teach on, on his trends, on technology trends. There's a lot of technology that's going to help us do what we do in a different way. And one thing that has been interesting that we've been seeing uh, as an example, we used to talk with people saying, hey, I don't have time. I don't want to do online learning. And now everyone's really open of online learning. We're getting our clients used to many, many ways to do new things. And I think technology is going to help for that. So people are going to be more open to change their habits and the way they do things using technology. So use this time to accustom your customers, your employees, your stakeholders to, to operate in a different way using technology. So invest in technology. They're going to be way more open to use it and, and interact with you in a different way. And last, acquisitions. We see a lot of great acquisitions out in the market. Uh, I don't think now is the time to do acquisitions. In the next 12 to 24 months, there's going to be amazing acquisition opportunities. So make sure you stay alive and you have enough cash to survive the next 12 to 24 months and then look for, for opportunities to acquire competitors. They're going to be willing to give you the company for very little cash and they're going to be able to uh, owner finance it or things like that. So look for acquisition and real estate. I think there are going to be great, great opportunities in the future. So these are some of the trends and some strategies and recommendations that we have for you. And I'm going to come back to Herb's 
slide. This is the SWT uh, tool, uh, Strengths, Weakness, and Trends. So clarify your strengths in today's world, clarify your weaknesses, and then understand which strengths, as Herb mentioned in this two by two, are gonna have the highest impact and you could adapt the easiest to use them. And then just focus everyone on doing that. And that's what we've seen people doing with the trends. The trends have changed dramatically. We're getting into a completely different new normal. And this tool is gonna to help you get to that. So that's what we wanted to share. Um, please send your questions. In the next five minutes, we'll have a Q&A. I will just tell you a little bit about the scaling up program that we have, and then we'll go to Q&A. Please begin sending your questions. And Alex, can you moderate the, the Q&A and send them to me? Uh, I'll, uh, I'll appreciate that. Right. So just going back, uh, remember in your one-page plan, everything that is red, you have to change. You have to challenge. Everything that is green, don't touch it. Just that's who you are. That's not going to change. You're going to change the way you're going to get to that, how you're going to do it. But don't change the what. Why you're doing things and what you do, don't change that. Just change the way you do them. And that's what you're going to change on the red. All right. So let's talk how can you adapt your strategy faster and then be able to implement it. And here's where scaling up. It's a completely different ballgame. All the, the examples that we teach you of companies running with scaling up are able to adapt their strategy much faster uh, using the SWT tool and then be able to execute way faster. Um, as you know, we have a class uh, with Vern. We call it Scaling Up the Master Course. We build a crisis edition that uh, we've been uh, offering for the last five weeks. It's been amazing, the success and the amount of companies coming in because they just love uh, the program because they said, hey, I need a community to be able to have this discussion. The alignment in my team, but a community of CEOs and C-level executives like us discussing what are the trends what's changing, what's not changing, and helping each other. And we're getting already a lot of our students making partnerships and alliance with other students because someone said, hey, I'm going to do this or I like this trend. And someone else in the class said, hey, I love that. Why don't we do this? And then they're helping each other and figure out ways to do more things together. Um, so we really believe that not just a class is what you need today. You need alignment of all your team on the new strategy and a community to decide that strategy, to give you the confidence to go and execute your new strategy. This goes way beyond a traditional online training. It's not just videos that you watch on your own. It's a community of leaders like you going through a process together of pivoting the strategy and then understanding how to execute that better. So you're gonna get a lot of live online coaching, video modules, peer support mastermind. Um, so it's gonna allow you to really redo your strategy Add up your strategy to a new trends. We have a lot of calls with Herb, and Herb is the coach leading that class. We have a lot of extra calls with Herb to talk about trends and everything that is happening. Everyone from all over the world, we have companies in over 65 countries having a discussion of what's happening, what they're seeing in their countries, and everyone's helping each other with ideas. You're going to be able to redo your strategy and be able to put uh, tools with your team, communication strategies and, and uh, com uh, KPIs and everything to really be able to adapt your strategy faster and execute it uh, immediately. Uh, this is uh, uh, an example of J.D. Edwin that uh, as soon as the crisis happened or all this issue came, he went back to scaling up methodology to be able to pivot his business. And this is 
what uh, the results he's having because he went back uh, and really challenged his strategy based on the new trends and the new normal, and he was able to turn around his company with it. So how will you achieve this? First, videos. It's really important we get directly from Vern how to do scaling up. So you get over nine hours of videos with Vern. Then live sessions with Herb. Uh, the class includes, uh, there's 10 more live sessions, right, Herb, to go. Um, we have some extra sessions that we've been doing in, in, in uh, at the beginning. The class really starts on May 14, uh, and it's a session of eight uh, calls with Herb to walk you through the process of redoing your strategy and implementing your strategy. And then we're going to give you, of course, all our growth tools and, and teach you how to implement those tools in your business. And then masterminds. We have like a forum strategy. We, we group students or executives in groups of eight to 10 uh, each. And you have five masterminds with your team to help go through the process uh, together. So as an example here, I'm leading a mastermind and you could see everyone are in different parts of the world. We're all connected. If there's one thing that we've all learned from this pandemic, is we're all connected. And what is happening in India or South Africa or the US or Greece is gonna affect us. So the best way to go through this is getting a community from all over the world and really understand the trends, what's happening, what are they doing in other countries to come back faster and be able to bring those innovation and ideas to your country or your community. This is Herb that is leading the class. You already met Herb. And he's also gonna do a one-on-one -on -one call with you. Once you finish your new strategy, you're going to send it to Herb and you're going to have a one-on-one -on -one call with Herb for him to be able to analyze and help you understand if the pivot was correct and be able to challenge you in some of your assumptions to make sure your strategy is correct. So before you start executing it, you have a third uh, party of view, really understanding uh, someone that is an expert on scaling up to make sure your, your one-page plan is done correctly so you could now go forward and execute that new strategy. Uh, of course, new engagement community, we believe this class is more about community than anything. So we're going to give a lot of way more tools. We have built a WhatsApp group that we have over uh, 150 uh, executives from all over the world going through the, the WhatsApp, helping each other, sending reports and things like that, helping each other to understand how to best implement this. And then we asked Vern, said, hey, Vern, we need to have some direct calls with you. So Vern committed to three calls of Q&A. So you could ask whatever you want uh, to Vern. So Vern will come in three coaching calls through Zoom, and just the people from the class will be in a Zoom like this with Vern and be able to ask whatever you want for three hours. So we'll do three sessions of one hour uh, with Vern, so you can ask him whatever you want. Uh, we did a first cohort of 40 companies. That's already full. We're already in our second cohort, and there's nine uh, space left. We were supposed to have around 25 by now, but uh, we've had more signups than we were expecting. Um, so who is this for? This is a crisis edition. This is for leaders who don't, don't just want to survive, but they want to thrive coming out of these times. So if you want to redo your strategy or adapt your strategy and then be able to execute it faster, this is the class for you. Uh, of course, the cost of scaling up, you know that coaching is uh, in the sixty dollars to $100,000. Of course, you're not going to charge anything close to that. The least price of this program is $59.90. Now we're selling it for $47.90. Uh, if you go to apply to the link that you've been seeing before. If you want to get the discount, uh, you have to apply before May 8th. And don't worry if people say, hey, I need a payment plan, happy to give you a payment plan. We have today payment plans of three payments starting at 1667. Um, so you, you don't have to give a lot of cash to start. And any question that you have, 
just ask for it. Ask for a call with one of our team members. We'll be happy to guide you in anything that you have to make sure this is for you. Um, so do you have to ask yourself, do you really want our help to pivot your business and be able to execute it faster in your strategy? These are some of the testimonials that I'm gonna be showing during the Q&A. And last thing, we have a nobody gets left behind in a certain times guarantee. We'll take the risk, come to the class. If in the first 30 days you said, hey, this is not for me or not what I was expecting, don't worry, we'll give your money back 100%. So we take the risk. We want you to come and test the program, see the value uh, that you're gonna get and be able to see how important it is to have this community uh, helping you going through the process. So we have all 100% risk on our side. All right, so this is the Scaling Up Christ Edition. That's a link. Uh, we're gonna send it to you also by email and with a replay and the slides tomorrow. And let's jump to Q&A. So Alex, are we ready? Yep, we're ready. I sent you a couple of the questions. All right, question number one. Can strengths and weaknesses change given that all the trends that are happening in the world today? So Anna, Herb, or Lisa would love to hear your thoughts on that? Um, I think an inherent strength in a different marketplace can change to a inherent weakness if it's no longer valued by the clients that you serve or the products that you offer. And the same could be uh, on a weakness that now changing something, you could become a strength on a new trend. Yes. I think the benefit of actually going through the SWT tool is really about taking a helicopter view of your business. And sometimes we get complacent in the way we used to deliver our products and services because it, it used to bring in the money quite easily for us. But I think for a lot of companies, there's a lot of underlying strengths that perhaps that they haven't, um, they haven't encouraged or looked to blossom. Um, and I think it's really a good time to take an honest view of where your strengths are and go through that process because I really believe a lot of mid-market companies who have been so busy in the past have got an idea that's in the bottom of the drawer that they've just left there for another day. And I think now is the opportune time to bring those ideas to the table. Their strengths, their IPs, unique IP that we've had, um, and it, it's time to play the, play them into the market as we should. So I think there's a lot of sleeping strengths out there that now's the opportunity for a lot of businesses. Great point. Thank you, Anna. Um, what is your view on travel? Airplanes, buses, cars. Will people prefer personal travel, like buy a personal car than ride sharing? I think a lot of that's going to have to do with um, the government messaging. And if we get a vaccine um, early, I think a lot of it's got to do with the disposable income and whether people can afford it. I think affordability is going to drive that as well. Um, how long it takes is anybody's guess. We don't know what's happening or if there'll be another wave or um, perhaps there'll be a vaccine. I think the answer to that is going to be a lot around the messaging from the government of how safe it is to go outside. I don't know what you guys also think too. I, I think just to add to that, Anna, one of the other impacts is going to be the uh, adoption of not traveling. When I entered the education business in 93, we were all brick and mortar. Early 2000, we started with online. 10% of my clients liked it. Fast forward three to five years, 90% liked it. So I think travel will be impacted by the convenience and adoption of people's mindset behind it. 
Um, but I think that will take some time to play out. It won't happen overnight. COVID kind of accelerated it, but it's still going to take time. I would just add that I think the local regulations, like Anna pointed out, the government message and also the restrictions in play. Um, I know in Costa Rica, there's very strong restrictions in play, and that has impacted our country very well. We've had very few cases and very few deaths. And so people appreciate that. And they've really been stringent about adopting that. I think I'm also hearing from clients that they are finding unique benefits from this and that the new normal that they will emerge in, even when these restrictions are released, is gonna be very different than where they left. Even if they had the choice to go back, they won't go back fully. So the benefits in the environment, the benefits in time, you know, not spending a lot of time commuting, and connecting with people in different ways remotely has now opened up all new ways of doing business. And I think some of that's gonna carry forward with us. And so I'm excited to see what that new normal will emerge as. Awesome. Um, I will uh, share a personal uh, uh, story with my wife. We've been discussing, we moved to Canada recently. And with all of this, we said, hey, should we buy a van or rent a, a SUV or something for the summer? And let's travel here. Um, so yes, I, I think uh, uh, travel is. If you have kids, it's going to be way much more easier to buy a car and move, uh, at least for travel. Uh, in the case of the city, uh, as Anna said, I don't know how the government is going to react and, and how what's the message going to be, but probably I would not go want to go in the metro or an underground uh, with a hundred or two hundred people uh, for several hours or for some time. Um, so I will walk or do bicycle or or a car to try to move. Um, probably Uber will be fine, but at least for me. All right. Um, with the dropping of all prices, do you think that electric mobility will be put on a back burner? Can you say that again, Daniel? Yes. With, with uh, low oil prices, uh, electric mobility will be put back on a back burner. Like, we're having a lot of investment on moving uh, mobility to electric. With the new old prices, are we still going to do that? Yeah, I, I think, again, you're looking at the demand and the supply and also the price points that we have. Um, again, it's an affordability thing. Um, the value proposition was very, very strong for electric cars whilst all prices were really high and also the um, environmental impact that the oil um, um, motor engines have. Um, I, I, my gut feeling is, is at the end of the day, it's it's a hip pocket decision for a lot of people. Um, unless there's some massive government incentives that come in play too, that um, will look at weaning us off this oil, this, the demand that we have for oil. Um, I think it's gonna be a price point for a lot of people um, as opposed to, um, it, it, and if it's on parity, electricity and oil, it, it's gonna be a value proposition and a branding proposition for um, the electric market would be my opinion. The, 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 the people have gone through a massive shock and I think the psychological impact of what's happened is probably going to live with us for a lot longer than a lot of people realise. People are wary um, and they're likely to be frugal. And I also believe, uh, depending on the investment you're going to have to do, a lot of people would not do investments. Uh, mm. It's going to be cheaper just to maintain their car today than go to a uh, electric car and you have to rebuy another car. Um, so, so if you already have a car, I think it's very unlikely you're gonna have a big expenditure 
or buying uh, uh, an electric car if you have to do a big investment. If you had yeah. to change your car already, probably you're gonna go electric, but you're not gonna change it just for the pleasure uh, with lower income as we have today. Where do you see the trust trend? I agree, but I'm curious where do you, ha have you seen it? The trust trend, Lisa, can you talk about that? So I'm wondering if you mean where is that going to head? Will trust become more important or will yep. we establish more trust? I mean, I definitely see we are making segue there. Even leaders that I think didn't give a lot of credence to that now are much more open, much more vulnerable, much more aware of the impact of trust in engaging teams to be fully creative and fully uh, willing to co-create and innovate. And I think today uh, that is so important. So I think the scarcity and the unknown and the uncertainty has caused people to become more vulnerable and realize that the human connection is ever more important. And that building of focus for that human connection naturally builds trust. So I see trust is going up and to the right dramatically. I think leaders that ignore that trend are going to pay a really big price, like Daniel mentioned. And we're going to see that in you know three to five years. It's not going to be just short term. Lisa, I would just add, I think right now as well for leaders, their employees are watching them very closely, what decisions they're making, what they're cutting, who they're cutting, how they're cutting. And I do think Daniel mentioned that there will be a ripple effect of that. And that mm -hmm. leaders really need to be careful about taking care of their own house in terms of trust and then allowing that trust to be felt out in the market with your clients and suppliers. So very important. Just adding to the trust thing, I think as leaders, the, one of the recommendations I'm making to a lot of my clients is that it's a really great time not to talk, but to listen. We've got two of these, one of these. And I think to build trust, we really need to listen empathetically um, to, to people. They're, they're reaching out to us for some kind of guidance. And sometimes the greatest gift we can give people is just our time of listening to them, empathizing with them, um, validating where they are, and then supporting them as they're moving forward. We don't know what's happened in their world around them, what's happened to their spouse or their children and um, to their parents, etc. And I think trust is built when we truly behave like humans and we care for one another. So um, listening, I think, is a major, major component of that and also being vulnerable too. Um, yeah, I'd like to share just a quick story. So it kind of builds on Daniel's example of doing twice daily huddles. So one of our clients that's in Europe is doing that and they've even changed some of their opening questions. So not only how are you, but how are you at home? How are you at work? And how are you kind of in the community that you, you know, once were an active part of? And having that three-dimensional discussion, they said has really engendered trust building in their teams and just a level of caring that they hadn't experienced. And this is a, um, they're a software security company so highly technical people and this technical account team was telling me that they had like eight of them in a staff meeting as they were doing their daily huddle. And one of the leaders who was individual, single, living alone, no children, said to the group, you know, I hear many of you with young children and families really struggling. You know, how do you find time? You're all at home doing school, doing work. 
and there doesn't seem to be any outlets. There's no real support. And, you know, everybody's just kind of at uh, wit's end. It says, what if we came up with each of us taking a turn teaching something to the kids in our collective team community? And so he, with no kids, is teaching them, I think his was teaching a cooking lesson. But every member of the team takes a turn each week and does a virtual lesson of some kind with the kids. And the parents kind of have an hour off and free and open. And the leader of the team said she was just amazed at the idea. She says, I would have never come up with it. I love it. She has three kids. Um, she and her husband both work. And she said, and I would have never imagined Chris, you know, the single guy in the team would have come up with this idea. And he said, it serves me greatly because I'm isolated. I feel like I can't care for anybody. I can't provide support. And now I have this instant community. So it was like a win-win. So I, I think people are just kind of showing up in different ways that are powerful and exciting. And you know, hopefully those human lessons will continue. Should all companies be lowering their prices? And how do you make that decision? Absolutely not. Absolutely um, not. <laughs> Absolutely not. If you have to, yeah, go, Lisa. Well, I would say just from some of the data that we shared, I mean, you need to segment the industries that are impacted. You really need to understand your value proposition, you know, what unique and differentiated strategy and value that you provide to your customers and price accordingly. There's places where your services can be premium and should represent that value. And there may be clients that you wish to serve that are heavily impacted and you may choose to do a discount, but you should not do a unilateral decision. That would be very ignorant. I think, yeah, I agree. Oh, Sorry, go on I don't know if you have to lower your price, but you may have to add value to the price you have. You may need to put additional services on top of it. You may need to have an unbundling of an all-inclusive price to have smaller parts of your offering be more affordable, but not discounting the overall price per product in your bundle. And I think right now, staying close to your client and being sticky and not allowing them to walk away. We had one client that told us they looked at a five-year maintenance contract because they wanted the stickiness post-rebound. They gave them the first three months free, the next nine months slightly discounted, second, third, fourth year full price. And that was a win for the client because of the current cash flow issue. And it was a win for him because he locked in a multi-year maintenance contract and showed that he could be a compassionate uh, partner in a time that was really tough. So I think it's a good time to put on your thinking hats but I agree, you don't automatically just want to cut price to cut price. Not a good practice. Yeah, go through the strategy. My, my recommendation would be to, to walk through the strategy tools first, um, because I think there is some hidden gold in them if we put our teams together and, and, and discuss. This is, like, like Vern has said, this is a time to talk our way through issues. Um, by responding with a knee-jerk reaction of just, um, price discounting, um, it's really going to impact the long-term sustainability of your company. And you have to think about the implications that you have for your team um, and for your own company as well. Um, you, you need, we need to get to the other side of this. Um, 
perhaps it's uh, perhaps not price, but perhaps uh, the trading terms can be negotiated. But price is it's pretty insidious the impact that it has on your bottom line, on gross margin and on net profit, and it hits a lot faster than you think. The amount of quantity you have to um, the amount of quantity you have to build to get to the same kind of levels is quite significant. So I'd look at trading terms before I'd look at pricing would be my recommendation, like Herb's example was. Well, and another example building on Herb is, I know in our business, we have offered a, a number of services to communities that are in need and, you know, just set up coaching hours. So, you know, coach chat conversations. So open hours where we're accessible and, you know, offering that service for free and offering value in, you know, small doses so that people can be served and can have an idea of what working with a coach could do to help them out. And that, you know, has been beneficial. We feel like it's a give back to us and it's an exposure to others. And it, it's also connected us to, to some new people that, you know, want services and, you know, down the road, we'll be able to afford it. Do you see the trend toward environmental sustainability in product and operations come come to grow or slow down the trend towards environmental sustainability? Hmm. In, in Australia, we've just been impacted by the bushfires, so it's still a hot topic. As, as adults, we've probably forgotten about it, but I know my children are still reminding me about the impact that our, we've had on our um, environment. Um, Yeah, I think um, I think we're going to be acutely more aware of it now that we've been given permission to work from home. I think that's going to strengthen the you know the environmental argument is also going to strengthen our argument that we want to work from home a lot more. I think we haven't seen a lot of data, but we're going to start seeing data of what happened with the world with the world when we were all stopped, and we're going to see how much impact we were doing to the world and how much it got better because of all all those being home. So I think it's going to be give us more data to be able to have a, a discussion. I don't know if you've seen the videos of the animals coming to the streets and 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 Venice. I don't know if you saw these fishes in in Venice and the channels. You could see them uh, because they were extremely clean. So I think it's going to give us more data. Let's see how we react as community. But I think it's going to be a uh, depending on your investment. Hey, can you do something without a uh, big investment? To be more environmental friendly, yes. If you have to do a big investment, like buying a car or something like that, I think that's going to be harder. Um, and indeed, there's a question uh, following. Um, I agree with the future of offices. Will people want bigger houses in the suburbs and better landscaping? 100%. 100%. For me, to just go out from my house and walk around, has been great. I've heard people are in, in big apartment complexes. And just getting out of the apartment complex has been a mess. Just getting into the elevators or the escalators. Uh, I have a friend in India that I've been talking to. In India, they could not get out of their apartment. He's been inside his apartment for four weeks. They just allowed one person to get out of the apartment, one by one to go to the supermarket once a week. The rest, he's been home with their kids without getting out of the apartment. Here, I go out to the street every day to walk. And at least I see a little bit of green and move around. So going back to that, to the environmental uh, sustainability, I think, yes, I think it's, we're going to be even more aware uh, today. Uh, 
Lisa, Anna, or Herb, you want to add on this? I'll jump in. I mean, I live in Costa Rica that is very environmentally friendly, and I, I have to agree wholeheartedly. So I think there's a deeper appreciation, and I think you're right, Daniel, that we're going to have much more data to build the case for change, more accelerated, faster paced um, to improve our environment. And I think this pause has caused people to notice the positive impact on the environment as we have slowed down. And, you know, I would be struggling to understand that we could forget that anytime soon. So I think that's going to have a powerful effect. I'm hoping for it. I will be a part of that. Okay. Um, next question. The energy sector was undergoing massive pressure before COVID. What are the implications of this double whammy to the industry? Uh, and what opportunities do you see in the transformation that will occur in this industry? Energy sector. I think if you're looking at the SWT, you have to think of what the impact of the trends are going to be. I don't think I've put 100 miles on my car in over six weeks. Much less. So am, am I am, like, what is my mode of transportation? Is it walking? Is it a bike? Um, is it a moto scooter? Whatever it could be. Um, I think you have to look at that. I think from energy point of view, how does that shift to the home? Is my home heated by electricity or by oil? Am, am I going to need more heating needs because I'm home more versus when I'm at the office, I'd lower the thermostat. These are all implications, but I think you have to follow the trends and look at the SWOT and as the ladies have mentioned, get the data. Because right now it's just off the top of our head, but there is going to be research. But I think it's follow the path of how people are going to be living and you're going to see the impact to the particular industry. Last question um, on payment flexibility, product restructuring or affordability. What would you recommend? In some markets, there is a nice opportunity to create lower priced products, but dramatically increase the number of clients and sales. So talk about packaging, like payment flexibility and going to lower uh, price products for more volume. Just speaking from a scaling up point of view, if Vern Harnish was here with all of us, we like <laughs> to think of profit share, not market share. And that you wanna create a company that has industry leading margins, and you can't do that with products that don't allow the type of pricing to margin creation. So I would lead with that, but there are some short-term strategies you may need to do to pivot or enter a market or maybe gain market share, but the ultimate goal is really growing profit share and allowing your margins to create cash flow that's then used to self-fund, build a war chest, and be able to allow you to get and buy opportunities when they arise versus market share and being cash poor. So I'll let the ladies jump in if they'd like. My thinking is, is if the business model that you currently have supports the margins to sustain the margin and liquidity, sure. But if it's likely to shift the way, if, you, if business model transformation is going to be significant because you've gone from high margin, low volume to high, to, uh, so if you go from high margin to low volume, or if you've gone from low margin to high volume, that's going to have a flow on effect on your team. 
and also on your scalable infrastructure and your IT platform. So I think as long as you're aware that it's going to impact your business model um, that, and, and you go in with eyes wide open of the implications that it's going to have on your business and on your people, um, and you have the technology platforms to make that pivot, but if you think the old way of running the business and then going for a, um, a low price entry with the heavier kind of cost structures, I think it's something to be carefully considered, really carefully to consider. And I remove the, the, the sharing of the, of the slide, just to talk a little bit more uh, human to human. Um, I, I really believe we're going uh, through really, really weird times. No one, no one really knows what's happening. No one really knows what's going to happen or how are things going to look. We're learning week by week. Uh, for me, the most important thing uh, that we're doing, at least uh, internally in our business, is see the data. We talk about the data. Uh, with this all kind of data they have to see, be able to react faster, be adaptable, challenge everything um, in your business, see the trends. Some weaknesses could become strengths, some works, uh, strengths could become weaknesses today. Challenge your product, your pricing, challenge everything. Don't just give away your products or do them cheaper. That's not what we're recommending. We're recommending that you really challenge it and really understand your price strategy and product strategy and market and all that, depending on how the trends are changing. That's why we believe this, um, uh, this tool is so powerful today to start pivoting your strategy. And one more thing, don't do it alone. You will never be able to think your way out. You're gonna have to talk your way out. And you have to talk your way out with a community. In your company, mm -hmm. advisors, a community of other CEOs, you, you're going to have to have to have a discussion to really be able to get to a conclusion. Don't do it alone. If, if I could say one thing that got me out of my 2008 failure of my company when I had to close my mortgage bank, is precisely that. My EO forum, my YPO forum, my community of other entrepreneurs that we have, we're having discussions. What are you thinking? What am I thinking? What's happening? What's not happening? And really be able to have a conversation with more people to understand all kinds of points of view and be able to come out with a, a conclusion or an idea. So I think that's really, really important. And I will encourage you not to feel alone. You're not alone, everyone is in this. And by the way, uh, we've seen some clients say, hey, I won't tell my clients or my competitors that I'm not doing well. Everyone's having issues. Everyone's having problems with their company. Don't hide, come out and open, discuss it. And that's gonna give you a bigger advantage to talk your discussions with everyone to be able to take it to the next level. So just to close, if everyone could give their closing thoughts and we'll sh close this webinar in the next five minutes. Um, I'll just start by saying stay close and not only to your employees, but to your customers. And if you ask one simple question to your customer, what should we start doing, keep doing, or stop doing and listen? and get that intelligence because I think that intelligence right now is vital to a great SWT plan. And thank you. I'll jump on that as well. So I think the power of connection, the power of communication, and especially listening. There's so much to learn right now and your teams have a lot of wisdom. If you take the time to listen as well as your clients listen, 
you will learn tremendously, you will strengthen relationships, you'll build trust, and you will be you know, thriving for the future. I would just add the tools that we've got with the scaling up tools are so incredibly powerful. Now is the time to take those tools out and work your way through them. Um, whilst you are collecting all the data and you are listening very, very carefully, I think it's also a great time to move fast. This is not a time to forever procrastinate. And like Jim Collins' work has told us, it's shoot bullets, not cannonballs. So get out there. If your team's come up with a good idea, move on it. Don't just sit and think about it forever. Have a go. Um, entrepreneurs have this can-do spirit. And I think, um, I think we're going to come out of this a lot stronger than we ever thought we were. And we're going to be feeling a lot more empowered. Um, um, I'm very, very excited with what's going to happen because I think it's pushing a lot of um, digital transformation in the world. And I think it's, it's, it's a very exciting time for me. So follow Anana's uh, thought. If you go to this book, Great by Choice, Jim Collins, uh, the, the chapter she was talking about, it's chapter four, Fireball That's Not Cannibals. This is a Bible in today's uh, world to do critical thinking. Uh, if you want to execute, if you want tools, scaling up. If That's you it. Critical thinking, well said. This is great critical thinking book. I have my notes. I've read it last week again. Uh, this is for me what put me to think. And I really believe in chapter four, uh, Fire Bullets of Cannibals, 20 Mile March, the, uh, the chapter three, I think it's an amazing chapter that people are losing uh, their, their, their pace and, and they're reacting really fast. Don't do it. Get your 20 Mile March and just follow it. And then the last chapter, and I think it's extremely important, called Return on Luck. Hugely mm. important today. Hugely <laughs> yeah. important um, I think it's an exciting time. I think go for it, everyone. The tools are there. The, the framework is so powerful. I use it across multiple industries, as all, all of us do. Um, it is really, really powerful. Just go for it. And reach out if you need us. We're here. We're all here. We're very abundant. We thought we'd we'll also go for it. We'll hope. So if you, need, if you need to reach out to all of us, we're more than happy we're here. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, thank you very much. Really appreciate uh, your time. Anna, Lisa, Herb, thank you very much. Really appreciate thank that you, you joined us. Uh, hope you. all of you guys learned a lot um, uh, and you, you got some good uh, tools uh, to be able to turn your business around and execute it uh, faster. Uh, and if you want to join us, we're going to have an amazing program with 80 to 100 companies all over the world helping each other, pivoting their strategy and then executing your strategy fast uh, to the new world. So please let us know if we could be of any help. Happy to help. We're here. Uh, if you have, want to apply, ask for a call. Whatever you need, we're here to help. Thank you very much, guys. Have, have, have a great Thank day. You. Bye. Thank you. Be safe. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.